When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships. Thank you for downloading this Intelligence Squared podcast. For more information on our debates, talks and discussions, visit intelligencesquared.com and sign up to the newsletter. Hello, welcome to Central Hall, Westminster here in London, where an audience of several hundred have gathered to debate tonight's motion. We have six speakers from Europe and America who are going to try to persuade the audience here and you at home to either support or oppose the motion, Obama's foreign policy is a gift to America's enemies. Arguing for the motion, Bill Crystal, Conservative commentator and editor of the Weekly Standard, Jack Keane, retired four-star general and a key architect of President Bush's military surge in Iraq, and Con Coughlin, executive foreign editor of Britain's Daily Telegraph newspaper and an expert on terrorism. And against the motion, Simon Sharma, eminent historian, author and authority on American foreign policy. Philip Bobbitt, author of Terror and Consent, Wars for the 21st Century, and Bernard-Henri Lévy, France's best-known philosopher. That's our panel. Welcome to you all. All right, so let's hear the panellists' opening statements and uh, kicking off for us for the motion, Obama's foreign policy is a gift to America's enemies, Bill Crystal, who, as well as editing the Weekly Standard, is also a commentator on Fox News in the United States, and he served in a number of Republican administrations in Washington. Your time starts now, Bill Crystal. Uh, well, thank you, Zainab, and... Uh... My thesis is simple. Uh, the world is less safe today, unfortunately, than it was 16, 17 months ago when President Obama was inaugurated. Uh, the democracies are less strong than they were then, uh, and America in particular, I think, um, is le- less of a force for good uh, in the world, and America's allies have been weakened partly because, unfortunately, of America's policies. I wish this were not so, and as I say, I, I wish this would change. One area where I think I, where I've supported President Obama uh, uh, mostly 
uh, is in Afghanistan and Iraq, where in Iraq he's more or less continued the previous administration's policies and resisted attempts to uh, pull out in a precipitate way. Uh, in Afghanistan, um, he did uh, courageously, I think, announce an increase of troops, a necessary increase, to try to replicate as much as possible the reasonable success of Iraq after the surge. Even in Iraq and Afghanistan, um, the president in Iraq, by announcing a sort of arbitrary deadline for when we can get down to a certain troop level, and for, as of now at least, intending to get all troops out by the end of 2011 in Afghanistan, by announcing that the surge will end and a reduction of force will begin in the, in the summer of 2011, uh, I think the President has hurt his own chances of success and our own chances of success. Uh, people in Pakistan and Afghanistan have the sense that we're not there to say uh, setting a deadline which is simply arbitrary and has nothing to do with conditions on the ground is always unwise in a war. It was unnecessary in this case. There was no political reason President Obama had to do this. It was an unforced error. It's one I hope we do not pay a high price for in Afghanistan, but I fear that we will. I fear that we are already. With respect to Iran, President Obama, with much fanfare, announced a policy of engagement. I think everyone agrees that that has failed. Uh, Iran is closer to acquiring nuclear weapons. President Bush didn't have a very successful policy vis-a-vis -vis Iran either. But, of course, that's no excuse for President Obama. The whole point of the Obama administration was to improve on the Bush administration. And here, I think it's actually gone in the other direction. The, the emphasis on engagement meant that we did not support the Green Movement uh, after the summer elections were, st the elections were stolen in the summer. And there was a real chance, I think, to weaken the regime and to help the Iranian people. What was the claim of the Obama administration? He, unlike Bush, could win over these reluctant allies, win over these third world countries. He had credibility. That's why he gave the Cairo speech. That's why he's gone out of his way to not have that Bush attitude towards the rest of the world. And here we are, embarrassed really, by Brazil and Turkey. And real damage, real damage is done to the effort to contain, contain and stop the nuclear program of this very dangerous regime. In general, the dictators are stronger. Putin is stronger. Chavez is stronger. China is not restraining North Korea. North Korea is more aggressive. I hate to say it, but the democracies seem to be in retreat, and the U.S., as the leader of the world democracies, has, in a sense, signal, has signal weakness, which I'm afraid has emboldened the dictators uh, and weakened the cause of freedom and democracy around the world. I hope it change, changes. I very much hope the President changes his his foreign policy, but for now, I'm afraid uh, it's a failure. Okay, Bill Crystal. Bill, thank you so much. Okay, arguing against the motion, Simon Sharma, Emmy Award-winning broadcaster, vocal critic of the Bush administration, a historian whose latest book, Scribble, 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 is to be published shortly, and you can start speaking now instead of scribbling. Simon Sharma, right. the time starts. Were you all swayed by what Bill Crystal had to say? Maybe you were. In which case... I mean, it's, it's not too much of a low blow, is it? But I do have to point out, nonetheless, a low blow from me, heaven forfend. I do have to point out that the two vice presidents, one actually a vice president, one a vice presidential possibility, whom Bill Crystal thought fabulously qualified to have their finger on the nuclear trigger, were Dan Quayle and Sarah Palin. <laughs> Don't retreat, reload, Sarah Palin. 
Now, why should you all care about whether or not Obama's foreign policy is a gift to America? You should, in my view, care. You should care that we have a genuine common stake in the fate and future of the democratic experiment. When was it most in jeopardy? When was America most hated? When were the strains of doing good things, getting the coalition together in Afghanistan, most jeopardized? Well, of course, during the extraordinary excellent adventure of the war in Iraq. The greatest gift of the enemies of America was the eight-year fiasco, a masterpiece of ineptitude, calamity, and arrogance that was the administration of George W. Bush. It's said by conservative commentators sometimes, certainly Sarah Palin says this, Uh, It's said sometimes that he goes around apologizing for America. No, he does not. Read the speech in Cairo where he actually specifically took the Islamic world to task. He took the Western world to task for stereotypes about Islam. But he said he wanted the Islamic world to recognize there were crude stereotypes about America. America has been the source of some of the greatest progress for mankind. That's not apologizing for America. Read the Oslo speech. It's not the speech of someone in a feat would-be professor. He says we have to deal with the world as it is. It's a very pragmatic, tough, realistic speech. Negotiations would not have stopped Hitler, he says absolutely correctly, nor will they stop Osama bin Laden. A belief in peace is seldom enough to actually ensure it. This is, these are the remarks... And the policy that flows from that is the attempt of someone who is actually a pragmatist. But you have to be a pragmatist in certain ways that can deliver results. You have to do it multilaterally. That's the meaning of Obama's approach. The problem we have now is that we're fighting a new war with old weapons. Winning is not defined any longer by the complete annihilation of an enemy army, the unconditional surrender. It's not the way Taliban works. Jihadi is ultimately asymmetrical warfare. How are we truly going to achieve victory? We're going to do it, goodness me, in a way that honors the origins of the American Revolution. We are fighting a war for the American tradition of religious pluralism embodied by Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson said, truth will prevail if left to herself. That's the flag, the flag of pluralist toleration and freedom. We need to run up the flagpole, and America and the rest of the West will be more secure and more full of their own self-respect as a result. That would be victory, the victory of toleration over fanaticism. Simon Sharma, thank you very much for your uh, very energetic arguments <clears throat> against the motion. Now for the motion, General Jack Keane served for more than 30 years in the US military in a career culminating in his role as acting Chief of Staff of the US Army. General Keane, your time starts now. I fundamentally believe that in 16 months our foreign policy in the United States is weak, it's defensive. Often at times it's apologetic, and it forces our allies to wonder, is the United States going to be able to be relied on like they were in the past? 
It encourages our adversaries who are not stopped by words or goodwill. I'm not suggesting that we should be threatening or using military force. Quite the contrary. Many of us who have worn a uniform usually argue against it unless there is no other course of action. Will the world be a dangerous place, a more dangerous place, with a rogue nation like Iran with nuclear weapons? You know the answer as well as I do. Absolutely yes. Radical Islam, jihadist extremism, Islamic fascism, Call it what you may, we all know what it is. The President of the United States refuses to name it. He refuses to define it. He refuses to use the term. Can you imagine Winston Churchill in this town, in this city, during World War II, refusing to identify fascism for the hell that it really was, refusing to identify it and define it in terms of the threat it was to Europe and the threat it was to mankind. That is an absurdity. Anybody that's, that studies and strategizes how to deal with an enemy, the first thing you must do is define your enemy and understand and communicate what that is to the people. And we're incapable of doing it. Radical Islam is an ideology that joins people together based on ideas. What is going to defeat radical Islam are not guns and bullets. What is going to defeat them is the ideology of democracy and capitalism, and that's what they fear the most. And that is why their opponent is the United Kingdom, and that is why their opponent is the United States of America, because we propagate those major ideas in the world. And yet we refuse to identify it as an ideology that is joined together based on a big idea. As a result of that, we're weaker for it in terms of execution. The Iranians are marching towards nuclear weapons, and it will be there in two to three years. And the policy that we have today is not going to stop that. The Russians are up to great mischief in the world as they try to reemerge and regain the world stage. And they have truncated every effort that we have made to try to cooperate and collaborate with them for a common good. That is the ledger that we face. The reality is the proposition, as stated, is catering to our enemies, and it is creating huge frustration and a lack of confidence in America with our allies. Thank you. General Jack Keane, I thank you. Now arguing against the motion is Philip Bobbitt. He's considered a leading constitutional scholar, one of America's leading authorities on conflict in the 21st century. And Philip Bobbitt, your time starts now. I want to address two issues. <clears throat> Obama's view of strategy and his view about law. And I will conclude that it is the relationship between these attitudes that will answer the question we have posed tonight. The White House will soon release the new national security strategy. It recognizes that we are at war, but it recognizes that there are two consumers of America's declarations on such matters, 
our friends and our enemies. The Bush administration only seemed to address one. This was an elementary error. In the first place, the U.S. is not so powerful that it can succeed in the wars against terror without allies and, indeed, without sympathetic publics abroad. Strategy is not a popularity contest. That's true. But neither is it a suitable enterprise for the self-centered. In Afghanistan, the only way to get a surge in the first place was to convince the U.S. public and our allied partners that the White House really had considered every other option. While many have been impatient for action, this period delivered what a simple decision could not. It delivered the political support of the American people. And I doubt that any other political leader could have doubled U.S. troops as successfully. The United States has friends in every country, in every parliament, in every foreign ministry and military. A president who is admired and respected makes their politics more attractive. Some from the previous administration have charged that Obama has left the country at greater risk, and others claim that he is simply, in fact, continuing the Bush administration's policies. But the president's critics from the left and the right are really missing the point. Bush and Cheney refused to go to Congress for authorization to intercept foreign communications without a warrant. It was enough for them to conclude that the existing statutory framework was outmoded, as it was, and they could ignore it. What Obama is doing is precisely the opposite, seeking law reform in order to strengthen the war effort. This means not only that our war strategy must conform to law, but that law must be reformed to take account of the strategic context. We cannot have one without the other. There is nothing wrong in principle with military commissions so long as they have the kinds of legal safeguards proposed by President Obama. There is, on the other hand, something very wrong with torture, in principle, not simply because it violates our laws, but because freedom of torture goes to the very heart, the very constitutional basis of our laws in America. Obama's foreign policy is not a gift to our enemies. It's not a gift, really, to anyone. It is something America's friends, our friends abroad, have earned and have waited for. Philip Bobbitt, thank you very much. And arguing for the motion, I see he's already in the launch pad, Con Coughlin is renowned for his work as the executive foreign editor of the Daily Telegraph here in the UK. Con, your time starts now. Thank you very much, Zainab. It's great to be here for this debate. Um, I can see an element of humbug has already uh, infiltrated this uh, very uh, challenging uh, issue. I'd just like to address my former tutor, Simon Sharma, my dear former professor um, failed to address the motion here. This motion is about Obama's foreign policy, not how much we detest George Bush or Sarah Palin. Now, I... Thank you. And I should start by saying that I, I started my involvement with uh, Barack Obama two years ago um, in the Wild West of America... I went to a rally he held in the Midwest one very cold February night. But what did he say? He didn't say very much. He said, 
Americans, together we are wonderful. Americans, we can change the world. Americans, vote for me and the world will be beautiful. We'll all run down the Illibrick Road. That's President Barack Obama um, as the candidate. And now we see him as a president, and I'm afraid it hasn't changed very much. Um, the moment uh, he, he became president, we had the Cairo speech that uh, various debaters have alluded to. What has that speech actually achieved? He got up, he declared to the Islamic world, America wants to be your friend, come and embrace us, let bygones be bygones. He also gave the State of Israel, one of America's closest friends in the region, a gratuitous, gratuitous kicking and demanded that it uh, stop all its settlement activity, stop this, stop that, unconditionally. Um, and he's driven Israel further into a corner where, just out of sheer bloody-mindedness and to upset the Obama administration, they're now building settlements in East Jerusalem. Let's take Afghanistan. Now, what, as we've alluded to earlier in the debate, Obama is to be applauded R reluctantly and after great deliberation and procrastination he agreed to a military surge in Afghanistan. But he did so with a very heavy heart. And he tied the hands of the soldiers he sent to Afghanistan behind their backs before they even got on a plane. He said he wants to withdraw the troops by June 2011. Now, you talk to any commander, any diplomat, any politician with any knowledge of this subject, and they will tell you it will take five years minimum to turn this round. It cannot be done by July 2011. And let me move on to Iran, another of my favourite subjects. Obama came to office and said to the Iranians, unclench your fist and I will be your friend. He wanted to tear up 30 years of hostility on the part of the Iranian regime, not just the United States, but the, to the West. To, to, to believe that the, the Iranians are about to change their tune, again, is pie in the sky. We can see where I'm going, and for that reason, I would commend this House to support this resolution that Obama's foreign policy plays into the hands of America's and our enemies. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Con Coughlin. And finally, against the motion, Bernard-Henri Lévy is a man of many parts, philosopher, author, filmmaker, novelist, and he was recently ranked as one of the 30 most influential thinkers in the world. Start trying to influence us now, Bernard-Henri Lévy. Thank you. My feeling, my belief, is that President Obama is a little Chinese. And saying that, I mean that the main source of inspiration of his foreign policy, when you say foreign policy, you mean enemies. When you mean enemies, you mean war. When you mean war, you mean art of war. My feeling is that his main source of inspiration is a very old book written by a Chinese general of the 6th century before Christ called Sun Tzu, who is one of the best, most dangerous uh, strategists of the history of the world. And I would like to develop this very quickly. The three first announcements of Obama, his three, his three first refusals, refusals of the, of the preemptive 
war. The idea toward Iran to reopen the compass, not, not excluding the war, but not excluding sanctions, which is refusal to go directly to the extremes, and the refusal of the quagmire in Afghanistan and in Iraq, the decision to put a sort of schedule for the retreat of the troops. These three refusals are the three bases of the strategy of Sun Tzu. Then Sun Tzu is also three strategical principles. First strategical principle, when you are not sure to defeat an enemy, try to have a good deal with him. It is exactly, I'm sorry, what Barack Obama is trying to do. Second strategic principle of Sun Tzu, try to index your, the resources which you devote to war to the resources of the real empire. Don't wage war over your own means. Barack Obama does exactly that for the first time He is balancing or trying to balance or to link foreign policy and domestic policy, solution to the crisis and operations on the ground. And third strategic principle of Sun Tzu, the best general is always the best informed in terms of intelligence. I think that Barack Obama is not a gift to the, our enemies, but is a poison to our enemies and the most, efficient of, the most efficient of all poisons, which are the Chinese poisons. Thank you. Thank you very much, Bernard Honoré Levy. So, we've heard from our speakers. Now it's the turn. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before. Bring the arts home with Marquee TV. Of our audience, but before we do that, I should tell you that as our audience here at Central Hall Westminster in London were coming in at the start of this debate, we asked them to vote to see where they stood on the motion Obama's foreign policy is a gift to America's enemies. And let me tell you, this is how they decided to vote. So for the motion, 297, against the motion, as those on my left, 561. However, hang on, 
the undecided are 458. So don't lose hope. There's still all to play for. So a huge number of you there undecided. All right, so, um, and now our members of the audience are going to be polled again at the end of this debate um, to see if uh, we've managed to shift opinions here. And just before we go to the floor, I should remind you that if you want a free briefing of the issues being debated here, then go to www.intelligencesquared.com and just follow the instructions. All right, so can I see hands, please, who wants to speak? Our first speaker. I'm James Lovegrove. I was wondering if Simon Sharma would like to say the opportunity to uh, reply to his former student's accusation. Thing about thing about old student Khan was he always had you know he always said I'm going to give you the facts, which actually meant I haven't actually read the assignment this week, <laughs> nor actually will I ever get the facts right. Notice when he talked about Obama's uh, decision uh, about Afghanistan. He changed the wording, because he often used to say, well, they obviously buggered it up, you know, in the first reply. Obama did not say we're going to withdraw all troops in the summer of 2011. We are going to start transitioning the troops out. A huge difference. Just one other thing, very, very quickly. Israeli settlements, that I'm Jewish, I'm a Zionist, I have family in Israel. I was thrilled at last to have an American president who said... Endless building of settlements is the most damaging thing you can do if you want the possibility of two nations side by side in Israel and Palestine. Con, Con Coughlin, I feel I just have to give you the right to reply very briefly. All I would say on the Israel point, the point I was trying to get across is that Obama's insult to Israel was gratuitous by choosing the one issue he knew that the Israelis were on very weak ground. He didn't, he didn't make any similar kinds of, of uh, impositions on the Palestinians or on, on indeed the Arabs. Okay, thanks. So let's take more questions from the audience here and then we'll go to the back. Yep. Thanks. I know you've already touched on Israel's foreign policy, on Obama's foreign policy to Israel, but surely the people against the motion, surely Obama has not gone far enough in uh, bringing about peace in the Middle East, but he, shouldn't he be, show more support towards the Palestinians? Shouldn't that be at the heart of his foreign policy? Thank you. Well, this... About Israel, about Israel. Yeah. Number one, that Obama, it is a fact, is a friend of Israel. He has said it far before his election, and he might be one of the president of America who knows best what Israel means, not only strategically, but spiritually and philosophically. He is a friend of Israel. I'll take another question. I have a question about America's allies in Europe and Japan and the changed attitudes towards America. I'd like to ask someone on the proposition, perhaps General Keane, to address if these changed views about America under Obama can actually be used to help allied governments contribute more towards joint security efforts if it actually makes a, a difference. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. You know, the reality is we, President Obama is a very popular president, very popular person in the United States and in the world at large, and particularly in Europe. But the facts are policies 
the policies that he's promulgating, I don't think there's a shred of evidence that it has moved our allies in a direction of having a united effort to deal in a better way with our adversaries. There's no evidence to support that. It hasn't. There are words there. They sound good, but they fall flat. That is the reality of what we're dealing with here. Okay. Do you want to come back on that? It's just talk, empty words. Yes, you hear this uh, theme over and over from our adversaries, that this is all just a matter of poetry. It's all a matter of just uh, oratory that the facts don't show any real accomplishment by the president in the year he's been in office. And nothing could be further from the truth. Take two theaters of combat in which General Keene has been most influential in the best possible way. Take Iraq and Afghanistan. Without Barack Obama, we would not be able to commit ourselves at either one of these theaters. Public support for these wars in this country as well as in mine was eroding so quickly in the last few months of the Bush administration, we could never have maintained these forces. By isolating our sights to just the combat phase and forgetting the entire political stream that whirls around that phase, that determines the allocation of our resources, by forgetting all that, you can maintain this absurd fiction that he's only an orator, that no facts count on his side of the ledger. And it is absurd. Bill Chris, would you want to come in on this? It, it may sound absurd to, uh, to Phil, but uh, no one has yet specified any results. I'm, very, I'm happy the American president is more popular in Europe than the previous American president. That popularity should be taken advantage of. I'm happy this president talks more about soft power and smart power than the previous president. That soft power and smart power should be exercised deftly and for the common purposes, not just of our own, the Americans, but of the European countries. Has it been? I see very little evidence of that. Talk to the members of the Green Movement, those who really do believe in freedom and democracy in Iran. Are they happy with this president, with this president who ran precisely on the fact that he could speak to the decent people in the Muslim world who want to change, to the Democrats in Egypt right now? This is something Bernard-Henri Levy cares about. Do they feel that the United States government, do they feel the Obama administration, do the Green Movement uh, freedom fighters in Iran feel this administration stands with them or not? Bush may have been heavy-handed in the way he spoke for democracy, but at least he spoke for democracy. Okay, thank you. We're taking off some more questions. Lady with the headscarf who put up her hand very enthusiastically, I feel you should be rewarded, and then up there. Obama's foreign policy could never be seen as a gift to the enemies, i.e. the Muslim world, which is being referred to today, because it follows in the tradition of decades of foreign policy towards the Muslim world by America, which is characterised by interventionism, interference, supporting of dictatorships when it suits American interests, unstinting support of Israel. And these pillars are consistent. They always remain consistent, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat or Obama or Bush. Okay, I'd like to get some... Under the last president, we had a president who was condoning and supporting torture. This president has come out against torture, against waterboarding, and all the things which happened. And that is an enormous foreign policy victory, because it means that all the people around the world who are against torture can now support America in a way that they couldn't before under the previous president. Okay, let's... uh... On Coughlin, perhaps that, that last point there about you don't have to detach values from US foreign policy. And well, this is, this is a, what I call a feel-good factor. Of course, nobody in their right minds condones torture. 
for the purposes of this debate, let's just focus on what we're talking about. <laughs> the world is at war, and the greatest challenge of the modern age comes from a perverted form of Islamist terrorism and rogue states. The challenge for Obama and for us is how we respond to this. I personally do not think that the Obama administration is grasping this in the right way, and I do think, uh, to, to come back to the motion, that he's playing into the hands of his enemies. On Iran, it's very important that the Secretary of State is Hillary Clinton, who no one would confuse with Mary Poppins. Um, what happened to the Turkey-Brazil deal instantly, pretty much instantly, repudiated by the Obama administration as precisely the kind of um, meretricious deceit that it actually was? BHO, you want to come back on this? Yes, I, I just want to rebound on the very interesting remark which has been made uh, at the first rank about torture, waterboarding and so on. This belongs to foreign policy. This is right in our topic for two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, America is not any country. It is a very special country. It does not defend only some territories or a so-called empire which never existed except in the imaginary of the anti-imperialist. America defends values. And a president who says no waterboarding, no torture, and tomorrow no Guantanamo, it is a good foreign policy. The woman in the back, we never answered her question about Americanist interventionism dealing with the Muslim world. There are 55 million Muslims now as a result of an intervention or having a different quality of life experience. 25 of those million are in Iraq. That intervention and that goodness in that part of the Muslim world, I think, has made a dramatic change in people's lives and in their future. The lady here, and if I can run through two or three. Okay, lady and then the gentleman there, yeah. I wanted to ask the panelists' view of uh, Obama not meeting with the Dalai Lama. He did eventually, once he made sure there was no photo op, but he didn't initially, and I'm wondering what signal does that send to our enemies when perhaps it indicates that we're not putting human rights front and center for our foreign policy. Thank you. Um, could uh, Professor Bobbitt uh, explain to us why uh, President Obama did not offer any words of support for the Green Movement in Iran? Okay. Surely we must accept that no, in an era of inheriting deficits, um, no world leader has inherited such a goodwill deficit as Barack Obama. And this is purely the result of eight years of Mr. Bush. All right, thank you. That's all we've got time for from the audience. And um, we're um, going to have our closing statements now from uh, our panellists. And then our audience here, you, are going to vote again to see if the undecided have now made up their minds, if the fours and the against have actually shifted their opinions and actually jumped ship. And we're going to have our closing statements in reverse order. So arguing against the motion, Obama's foreign policy is a gift for America's enemies, Bernard-Henri Levy, and you may stay sitting. Number one, I don't remember any president in America to whom such a strong demand has been made so early. I don't remember that for Clinton, that for Bush, that for Reagan, there was such an intense demand of results uh, so early in the first term. 
Number two, nevertheless, my feeling after having heard my friend panelists and our so-called adversaries is that he made a lot. He made a lot in a very short time. He made a lot because he named Pakistan for the first time. He said there is one country in the world where you have weapon of mass destruction with the ideology which is able to put the fire on them, which is Pakistan. He made a lot because in Afghanistan there are some improvements. Talibans are weaker than they were, more isolated inside the population than we believe. And I would add that he has the same enemies as the previous administrations, but that he deals with these enemies in a way more wise and with more, I said poison, let's say with more poise than his predecessors. Thank you. For the motion on Coughlin. Picking up from Bernard Henri Levy's point about the progress being made in Afghanistan, yes, there is progress being made in Afghanistan. It started in 2006 when NATO first deployed, and it is gradually building momentum. But that momentum, as far as I'm concerned, is in danger of being lost unless we have a president in the White House who is going to demonstrate leadership. He wants to be the feel-good president. He wants to focus on issues like waterboarding and, and making the world feel a better place. But he shies away from the really big decisions, which is making, the, making us safe and the world safer. So I commend the motion to you. Okay, and Philip Bobbitt, if I... There, there was a specific question from the audience about why Obama has failed to um, support the Green Movement in Iran, so do incorporate that in your closing statements against the motion, Philip Bobbitt. The Iranian example is a very difficult one, and I, I, I think it was an agonising decision for the White House, and they may have gotten it wrong. On the larger question tonight... There's a room in the Library of Congress that has two huge globes made for Louis XIV. One is a terrestrial globe, uh, one is a cosmological globe. What we have, what we are all facing, what the young people in this audience will face in their lifetimes, is, is a new map. I think Barack Obama, among his many gifts, has the intellectual and moral force to look at this new map clearly. It is one in which we cannot isolate strategic problems from legal problems. And I'm proud to, that he is our president because I think he, he can see this clearly. Thank you. For the motion, General Jack Keane, try to persuade the audience to go with you. This radical Islamic movement is a threat to all of us, our children, and our grandchildren. It's the most significant threat, I believe, that we will face in the 21st century, and I think it was a more serious threat than what we're faced with the Soviet Union. And you cannot back away from this threat. You have to step up to it, and you have to deal with it. My administration, which I want to succeed, and I would suggest that 18 months is a little early to be looking at whether this administration is succeeding or not. I'd agree with that. I mean, let's be realistic about it. But there are trends, there are disturbing trends there, and we want to try to influence those trends to correct them as best we can. But the, the fact 
The fact of the matter is, my administration is redefining its relationship with your country, our closest ally in the world. It's redefined its relationship with Israel. Both of these countries are questioning what is America's intent. That is really disturbing because we need the United Kingdom. We need to be joined at the hip to deal with these threats that are in the world. President Sarkozy asked a rhetorical question about President Obama. Is he tough enough? We're going to find out. We will find out. So, the two final pitches, and remember, Simon Sharma, five, 458 undecided, so uh, make your final pitch arguing against the motion. We cannot, in this scary world, I think we're all agreed on the nature of the enemy, on the nature of what radical jihadi Islam represents. We cannot fight these new wars and endlessly go on about World War II and Winston Churchill. We're in a new world. We're in a digitally connected world where those we have to win over are are townsmen trying to make a living in Kandahar, of people who would like to be able to make a living in the fields of Afghanistan other than having to surrender heroin to drug lords. And our greatest weapon is is American history and American idea. Barack Obama is ultimately an American patriot. Why? Because he understands the greatness of American history is a negotiation between power liberty and moral decency and if he is to succeed and it is an open question I absolutely agree he will add his name to the presidents who've accomplished that debate who've made us think about the relationship between freedom power and decency Final word to you, Bill Crystal, arguing for the motion. I think Philip Abbott was hampered because uh, he really should be on our side since he's wearing a tie, you know, and he feels very uncomfortable sitting between Simon and Bernard-Henri Lévy. But I also, I will, I will address myself, though, to, to Bernard-Henri Lévy in, in just a couple of ways. I, I very much would want to associate myself with his eloquent remarks on Israel, which I uh, agree with and commend him for, in response to two different questions which implied that somehow we would seek to pursue a scorched earth policy in the Muslim world or that we have just, American administrations for decades have intervened uh, sort of randomly and in a hostile way there. I think I first met Bernard-Henri Lévy when we both supported the American and Western intervention in Bosnia and called for it before it happened actually, called for it to be done more urgently and supported the effort in Kosovo on behalf of Muslims. And I believe whatever we differ on, we can differ on the prudence of these interventions, but I certainly believe that an awful lot of British and American and other Western young men and women have died fighting for the freedom of Muslims uh, in the Middle East, not seeking to oppress them or conquer them. I don't honestly believe in conclusion that Bernard quite believes uh, in his case, if I might say. He's a very intelligent man, a very skilled debater. But when you spend six or seven of your eight minutes on Sun Tzu, I think that's a bit of a giveaway, that you don't really want to debate Obama's foreign policy. You want to discuss very interesting theoretical propositions laid down by a thinker 2,600 years ago.
Right. Well, I know what has happened, and while our um, panellists were giving their um, closing statements, our audience here were being asked to vote again to see whether they've shifted opinions. And um, this is how our audience has voted. So, for the motion, Obama's foreign policy is a gift to America's enemies, our audience for the motion are 369. It's gone up from 297 before the debate, so we've won some people over. However, not enough. Against the motion, 780. undecided have gone down to 90. So you went up from 780. Uh, it was before the debate 561. So congratulations to you, the winning side. Commiserations to you. Our thanks to all our speakers for making this very... Our thanks all these speakers for making this very important debate possible. Thank you to you also at home for watching and the audience here at Central Hall Westminster in London. And don't forget you can get more on this debate at www.intelligencesquared.com. But from me, Zainab Badawi, goodbye. Thank you for listening. You can download more Intelligence Squared podcasts free on iTunes and SoundCloud. If you'd like to find out more about our events, sign up to our newsletter at intelligencesquared.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. What are you doing right now? Perhaps you're in the supermarket. Maybe you're on a run or on the commute. But wherever you are in the world, and whatever you're doing, right now you're also listening to my voice. This is the power of podcasts. The ability to communicate with your audience in an intimate and intentional way through audio. I'm B. Duncan, Senior Partnerships Producer at Intelligence Squared. We've been a world-leading forum for talks, debates and events for over two decades. And we also use our cutting-edge curation, creativity and editorial expertise to elevate your brand to new audiences with podcasting. Intrigued? To find out what we can do for your organisation, book into a free consultation with me today. Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.